It's Tuesday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. And we're diving into that political arena when it comes to comics with this episode with uh, the creative team behind The Skeptics, a brand new series coming out from Black Mask Studios out this Wednesday. It's a Cold War series dealing with psychics, and it's it's really cool. We've got the creative team. Uh, you know, we'll introduce them in a bit. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, let me introduce my co-host, Alana. How you doing? Hey, I have a cold, but I'm keeping on. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited to have our guests join. I know, it's the election, so we're all slowly breaking down into smaller components. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> our guests have a comic that I've been really excited about for a long time. It is something that is historical parallel fiction with diverse cast, and it takes place in a city that both you and I know very well. So let's let's have them get started. Yeah, uh, we'll introduce the uh, writer, Teeny Howard, who uh, debuted as a contributor to the hugely successful con- uh, Kickstarter, Secret Love of Geek Girls, and was a winner of Pop Cow's Talent Hunt before co-creating The Skeptics. She's also worked on uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Pink, Magdalena, and one-third of the Black Mask Witches. Welcome to the show. How you doing? <laughs> Fine, things. How are you guys tonight? Thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. Well, it feels rather appropriate that we're talking to skeptics uh, in this political season and uh, all of us having a DC connection. It's just like this a perfect confluence of comics and political and geekdom all together. Yeah, it was it was funny. I, I it was actually my birthday last night, like yesterday as well. And so it's kind of funny. I'm like my first like you know creator owned series debuts like the same week as my birthday and right before an election. And it all kind of didn't occur to me. Like I was just like October 26th is when the skeptics comes out, and that's all I can think about. And I was like, oh wow, this this is actually it's got some some timeliness to it. Um, mm-hmm. Just so funny too because it's like. Sorry, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, so what's the standard pitch that you use to, to describe the book to folks who have not heard about it yet? Oh, um, well, there's a couple. Uh, I really like talking about it as uh, like kill your boyfriend meets X-Men first class. Um, <laughs> uh, um, you know, you could also, I guess, say it was like if you're like a fan of like James Randi or she's seen the documentary An Honest Liar, it's like an honest liar plus like sex criminals. Um, oh, I hear that too. Yeah, it's yeah. it's this uh, this um, kind of alternate history period romp uh, with uh, a pair of well, more than a pair, but we start out with a pair of uh, college students. And the thing I always tell people is, you know, the the thing about the book, the, the kind of theme of it is, it's about how cool it is to be the smartest person in the room, and how uh, you know, no matter if you're, even if you don't have the uh, social, financial, educational power and control over a situation, just being the smartest kid in the room and knowing that you are can get you really far. That's definitely a cool sentiment to hear uh, stated so plainly up front in the, in the in the series. So, you guys have a essentially it's a kind of historical parallel fiction, as how I've been describing it, um, taking place in. Do you have a specific year where it's set? Uh, no, the joke is that it's 1960x because it is enough. It's enough of an alternate <laughs> history that uh, you know we say it's early 60s. Um, you know, it parallels mm-hmm. with things like. 
um, Cuban Missile Crisis. I've kind of thought about it. You know, in this world, it kind of takes the place of the Cuban Missile Crisis because we've got and we've got a we've got Nelson Rockefeller as president. Um, mm-hmm. So it's you know it's clearly the '60s from the way people talk and dress and the way Taki's rendered these amazing uh, and Jen with her colors. You know, these amazing. Um, fashions and these palettes and stuff, but because it's an alternate history, I'm like, I'm not tied down to it being a specific year, and I feel like um, if I do, then I just, like, start hamstringing myself with things like musical references and slang. So, yeah. um, because it's an alternate history, we say it's 1960X. I like it. It's a good solution. Um, and certainly a time period that is something that pop culture loves in general, but there isn't a ton of comics about in that time place, really. Yeah. Um, there are a couple, like a couple comics that, you know, take place in that era. I mean, I, one of my very favorite chilling adventures of Sabrina um, kind of does a lot of aesthetic. And you know, there, was thing, there was like Cowl that Kyle Higgins did for image, which was kind of a like, you know, Chicago, like labor union, super shows thing. And I think he's, yeah, but yeah, there aren't, there aren't a lot. Like um, it's not like, you know, like even like the 1980s, or you feel like there are tons and tons of comics now that are, are uh, mm-hmm. touching back to that that era and that time. But um, and it's you know it's I'm a I'm a mid-century geek when it comes to like decor and fashion and stuff, so I couldn't resist the urge. Yeah, we both have the glasses. I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's, yeah, we we were hearing a lot about the kinds of research and planning that's going into the story, both in terms of the look and feel, but I think also in terms of the portrayal of the characters in it. Um, so we'd love to hear like what your process has been in terms of researching the, the time and place that this is set. Yeah. Um, so one of, I was talking usually to a friend of mine, uh, Justin Jordan, who's another kind of writer the other day. And I was mentioning to him, he was talking about how like, there are some things where he just doesn't, you know, just doesn't care about because he's like, Oh, it's a story, you know, whatever. Um, and I brought up something that like is on my mind a lot where I was like, I, I feel like, and you know, not to get like super political, super early, but I feel like as a woman, there's sometimes this pressure on me to be right when I'm doing things like historical fiction. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm naturally questioned more. Um, and so I feel like I'm almost less able to shrug and say, well, that's a story, even though I frequently want to, I get scared about it. Um, but so there are a lot of things in the story that I've done. There are a lot of liberties that I've taken, like, for example, you know, uh, a lot of so the origin of Dr. Santa Clara's experiment in the skeptics is based on an experiment James Randi did in the late seventies. Um, but, you know, I thought it was a lot more interesting if you had women and people of color involved in the experiment, people that weren't American involved in the experiment who are inherently distrusted. Um, if you had it at, during an earlier era, if you had it during, if you had it set against another country rather than just being, you know, let's see if this, what's going on because it's interesting. Let's have it like, you know, let's put some stakes to it. So, so what a lot of research I did. For those who don't know. Oh, well, there was an experimental project Alpha done in the late 70s by James Randi, who's a, a famous skeptic. <laughs> and um, he tricked, he basically was, he's, he's made it his kind of his life's work to say they have superpowers. And uh, in order to make this claim, at one point, he trained students to fake that they had superpowers and then do those tricks in front of scientists and thus fool the scientists. And to which James Randi then said, see scientists, 
you broke your own rules, and it was about proving that the scientific method was flawed because it was done by people. So it wasn't about really proving or disproving superpowers, and it certainly wasn't about the Cold War, the way the skeptics did. It was about proving to scientists that their methods were flawed. Is that the one that's got um, the million-dollar bounty out? Yes. Yes, that if you can okay. prove under his condition that you still have superpowers, he'll give you a million bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's and, after uh, a friend of mine, long, weird long story I'm not even going to get into. <laughs> but he's, he looks like a fascinating life. I mean, like, not to derail, but if you haven't seen, like, An Honest Liar, uh, it was on Netflix for a long time. It's, like, one of the best documentaries you'll ever see. And his, like, his life has the kind of twists that you would expect him to it, it just for someone who has such a, a life about truth he's got some things hidden in his life that are just really beautiful and i i really recommend it um but so the, a lot of the research i did was just i started out just researching the experiments themselves to see how he did it and then as time went on the book became like less about those experiments at all and more just about the characters and this idea that uh you know being young and being smart is more valuable than really any trick. Um, and then, so the research I got into was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff just about DC at the time, um, and a lot of uh, politics at the time. I read this book called Nixon Land, recommended me to me by Magdalene Visaggio, who writes oh, Kim, who's a very good book. friend of mine. Um, yeah. She recommended me. She she's a big history geek, and she like recommended me all these books, and. Um, yeah, I just I did a lot. I don't. I'm not a big researcher, and I'm not a big world builder. Like I kind of hate world building. Um, but when you're doing alternate history, you kind of end up world building whether you want to or not. So I've kind of found myself with like maps and stuff, and like I, I sit there and I Google map like how far places are because I want them to be able to. I mean, DC is not very big. Um, you can run from one end to the other, and it's not. Yeah. Like, it's not a big deal. You know, you you can take a walk from one end of DC to the other. Um, but uh, just, like, a big thing is, like, were locations um, open in certain times and places? And, like, were they available to everyone in certain times and places? And um, I spent a lot of time on that. And, like, the DC of skeptics is, like, I don't know if it's how DC really was in the 1960s, but it is very much an accurate form of 1960s DC that is, like, completely – sprung out of all this random research. Mhm. That's really cool. I I um I definitely endorse Nixon Land as a great piece of history for anybody who's interested in like understanding how the second half of the 20th century uh came to be. And I was totally going to tweet you with with Pearlstein because I've known him for a long time. So, I might do that later. <laughs> but um but yeah, oh sorry. Def- oh we have Devaki. She's joining us as well now. Yay. Who is the artist on the hi. series? Hello. Hi, hi. Can Thank you, you hear me? Thank you for joining me? us. Yep, I hear you loud and clear. Be... Okay, okay, sure, sure. Okay. Hi, hi, Tini. Hi, everybody. Hi, Devaki. <laughs> hey, welcome. <laughs> Did you guys want to hear something kind of funny and kind of funny and special? Yeah, Tadashi and I have yeah, never yeah. spoken. This is the first time we were speaking. We always we talk on Facebook all day long. Oh wow! <laughs> so how did you guys get connected to write the comic to uh, to make the skeptics together? I've been uh, talking forever, Do you want to take this one? 
Yeah, yeah, please go ahead. No, so I've been talking forever while we were waiting for you. You should tell them this one. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, oh, hi. We, hi. Well, I, <laughs> I basically uh, just, when I was working with Matt on the idea, he, you know, I was, taught, you know, kind of brainstorming the idea with him and showing him my notes. And he said, well, I love this. Do you have an artist in mind? And I said, yep, Vakini Yogi. <laughs> that was exactly who I wanted. Uh, and he said, great, uh, that, that's a, that's a good choice. And then a few days later, and she had been doing the Kim and Kim covers. And then so I, I, my part was, I asked Matt a few days later, like, well, what do you think? Did you like my suggestion? And he said, oh yeah, she's in. <laughs> I talked to her. So it was the easiest oh, thing ever. Cool. I got exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Exactly. Yeah. Tavaki, have you done other comics that were sort of historical fiction before? No, not historical fiction, but uh, the previous one I had done was Curb Strong for the U.S. market. But other than that, the ones I've done uh, haven't uh, were for the Indian market, but they haven't been in this genre. So, yeah, this is one of a kind. This is really very different for me. And uh, special because it's also not uh, of the current scenario. It is of 1960s. It's uh, also got some teenage kids. So it's got that fun element and the seriousness of the Cold War. So it's kind of a good blend, you know. It will appeal to a larger audience and they'll connect to it, I felt. And it would be something very different to do because I was getting typecasted to do only very dark, very dark themes. So this was very lighthearted, and I really wanted to get in and give it a try. Awesome. Well, that's true. I, the, the first issue was really a lot of fun. It has a sort of a caper-like feel to it, um, it, it rather than – yeah, it, it really, really kind of felt to me. It felt like a, like a sort of a heist movie or a caper of that nature. Now, how did each of you guys get involved with comics in the first place? Uh, well, I have been reading comics in some form or another my whole life, um, and I really, really love reading comics. I love reading everything. Well, comics are always my favorite thing to read, and I I read so much like cartooning style work early in my life, where you know you had the same. I would read like Calvin Hobbes, or I would read like um, Cartoon History of the Universe, or things where they were written and drawn by the same person, mm-hmm. and then. I had, you know, and then I got older, I started reading Sandman and Watchmen and all those big, thick graphic novels that everyone picks up at the Barnes and Noble when you're a, you know, a 13 year old girl and you're scared to go into the comic book store. And so you just go to the comic book yep. at Barnes and Noble. And yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, I picked up so many books that way. And it just took me until I was probably until like 20 that I realized, oh my gosh, the people that are, I mean, by that time I had started reading superhero comics and I remember I was reading uh, Invincible Iron Man by Matt Fraction and really enjoying it and I like looked up the author and was like oh my god he doesn't draw it of course he doesn't of course he doesn't draw it like and it opened my mind to the fact that I actually could probably write the medium that I most enjoyed reading and that blew my mind and now I get to do that and it's great <laughs> that's amazing so had you been writing fiction before that point um 
yes. Um, I've never, I've never written like novels, but I, I wrote a lot of short stories. I've always really liked, I really like reading short stories too. And I love short films. I like episodic stuff. I love like Black Mirror. <laughs> I love, I love anything that's uh, short and episodic. So hmm. that's part of why I like comics so much. Um, but yeah, I've, I've I'd been trying to write a novel and like slog through and force myself to write a novel because I felt like if I was going to be a writer, I had to write a novel. And I just like, mm-hmm. I would write novel length work, but nothing that I, you know, nothing that I would consider a novel. <laughs> I would just write these mm-hmm. like, you know, 60,000 word short stories basically. Um and uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, but I should write a novel. And I was like, well, maybe I can do it like Martian Chronicle style. You know, I can write a bunch of short stories and link them together. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, I can do, I can write comics. Oh my God. All of a sudden, like all of my misery towards novels evaporated. And I was like, I'll just write scripts. Yes. <laughs> so what was the first comic script that you worked on? Uh, the first one I worked on professionally was Magdalena Seven Sacrament for Top Cow that I submitted to their contest and got in. The first scripts That's I ever cool. worked on were just my own, you know, everyone tries to think up their own superhero commentary and write that. And then, uh, and then I tried to do this like grandiose project about dreams and, you know, <laughs> I went through the kind of first few things everyone does, um, you know, submitted pitches to anthologies got rejected. Um, but uh, Magdalena Seven Sacrament for Top Cow was my first professional credit. Well, congratulations on winning that. It was a number of years ago, but it's pretty darn cool. Yeah. And Devaki, uh, how did you get started right. uh, doing comics? Yeah, actually, I'll be talking from the drawing point of view, so because I don't write comics. Mm-hmm. And I started drawing pretty much at a very young age, like about five or six. And uh, it basically started when I used to visit my grandparents' place and I had one of my aunts read a lot of comics. And we used to get this um, dynamite comics of uh, all the Phantom and the Flash Gordon and Mandrake, those times in the early yeah. 1980s. Yeah. And I used to look at them and I wouldn't want to go to sleep in the afternoon and the dust would be off to bed and... And that would be my time of taking out the books and just, you know, just, uh, and I was I was a single kid. I, I didn't have any siblings at that point of time. So how do I spend time? And these things were, used to be the most attractive of all things I, I remember. And when I got into it, eventually I, I just wanted to draw like them. What were there in the books? I just exactly wanted to copy them and draw it like that. I was more attracted to the, uh, visual part rather than the narrative part so I started drawing mm-hmm. from there I learned my drawing whatever anatomy whatever I learned I learned from there and then somewhere down the line as I uh, into my teens I lost uh, I got a bit distracted I was drawing all the way all, all through my life and then uh, that's the point of time when I wanted to get into designing and uh, I wanted to get into apparel designing. I wanted to get into for do fashion and got into college and studied fashion, worked for a couple of years as a fashion designer. And then once I got out, I, uh, I, I didn't get out actually. I was still working and I realized that this is not the path I wanted to follow. This is not, the, this is not something which is making me happy as an individual, earning the money or working such long hours. And it's 
after that that i decided that i i want to get a break and i had some portfolio sort of a thing some couple of sketches and sent it to one of the comic which was set up in bangalore that was uh, part of the virgin it was virgin comics and uh, i sent it to them i made a cold call they offered me a job and that's where i started uh, drawing as a comic book artist and it was only for a short while a couple of months then i got off it and i started freelancing and as i got got to do a short comic with an indian publisher and i realized this is something i want to take up for uh, for as a career i want to keep doing and i could easily separate illustrations from doing comic book art because comic book art is what was keeping me was 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 what was giving me that satisfaction of being an artist of being in, into it and and then i started getting those uh, opportunities of doing more and there was one point of time when i realized that the indian scene in the comics industry is 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 very small it's very i mean what will i say it's very dormant it's not very active and there is not much readership here so if you want to do the variety of stories that i wanted to do more and when i grew up i mean reading batman and watchmen and all those books i wanted to do stories more on that uh, on that category i mean a more larger format and not only indian mythology which was more common here so i was huh. always hoping that you know i i didn't know how to do a break in and fortunately i was doing one of the gutters page gutters.com uh, i did one page in that and ryan contacted me ryan ferrier and then he said that i like what i saw and would you like to collaborate with me and that's how curbstorm happened we we did a few sample pages and then he pitched it to boom and boom took it up and i started doing the issue right away and that was my first year and then second year happened like this i got roped into doing kim and kim and then eventually i started doing uh, the skeptic so this is my second year in the american in, second book in the american comic book industry that's so cool i i love hearing this i don't think i've had another creator who is in india and who came through the indian comic scene that's super interesting right and i'm 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 really grateful for getting this opportunities because this is very early on and i'm getting to work with people and with the with the kind of publishers who are you know who are pro uh, who are uh, who are more on the side of the uh, indie creators i mean creator owned properties are are very valuable you know it's a very valuable resource for somebody who is getting into comics and getting a foothold is is very nice to have that kind of space and do it So I'm really grateful for getting these opportunities. I'm very fortunate. I would have to say that I am getting to do one book a year, and that's kind of an ideal thing to do. Mm. In terms of the workload, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, what what was the comic in the publisher in India? It, I'm still I'm trying to learn more about like non-American books. So maybe just give me a nice direction to go check something out. Yeah, I think I I I would uh, give you a current reference. I'm uh, doing a book for uh, for this publisher which is called Sinegiri and uh, they have done a book uh, called Hyderabad Graphic Novel Project which has been uh, which is very historical fiction based. Again, that's a very historical fiction based book, but they're doing a counterpart of Bangalore graphic novel. So I'm doing one of the stories in their anthology. 
and uh, that is a crime based it's it's a it's a crime that happened in bengaluru and in bangalore where i stay and i am just uh, doing it uh, their their comic for that this is the current one which i am doing so it would be a nice read it will be out soon i think next month but yeah i i i wouldn't be able to give you too many references which are uh, you know doing great but yes harper collins is one one publisher in india which is really promoting graphic novels i'm doing i'll be doing one uh, one book with them very soon next year so that is in the pipeline and i also did a kickstarter project recently uh, which was for the power and magic press is a queer comics anthology which is already got funded last month this month so that will be oh, also which anthology out. was this again uh, that was a power and magic press um that is queer cool. uh, queer which magic uh, yeah queer which magic anthology Oh, I think and I talked about that one. Yeah, the Queer Witch Magic Anthology. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the ones, well, it, yeah. It definitely looks like the anthologies and, like, Black Mask Studios are where a lot of really unique voices are coming in for comics now if you want something that's not just the generic. But one of the things that I really like about the skeptics is that you guys are have a tone that is like it's lighthearted, but it's smart and it's very lively and it's very it's like yeah it's intriguing. I think a lot of times some of the indie titles struggle with either being really bleak or being really silly, um, like just going for a pure humor route. So. I think you guys struck a nice balance on this one in terms of tone. Oh, thank you. Uh, I definitely have a lot of fun with the tone of the book because it's like I want it to sound like, you know, like like the 1960s. Like I want it to sound in period. But at the same time, I get to have like modern sensibilities. And I also like I don't feel like I have to like gloss over when people are frustrated (laughs) or annoyed. But, like, they're still <laughs> using, like, the language that they know and, like, the the phrasing that they would use. So it's, like, like I can have them be sarcastic if they're, like, oh, groovy. Like, <laughs> yeah. people are, I mean, it's, like, one of the things that's funny is, like, you know, if you go back and you read, like, Shakespeare, there's, like, sarcasm and dirty jokes and, like, people calling each other out. Like, those <laughs> human urges have always existed. And it's, like, I think just, you know, a lot of, and plus, I mean, admittedly, like, I love, like, like old movies and old Hollywood and stuff. And it's, like, I think, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain, like, silliness that we ascribe to it. But, I mean, if, you know, if you go back and, you, you know, you watch, like, things that were intended for, like, adults, like, you know, comedies and stuff at the time, it's, like, people are every bit as smart and funny and jaded and confused and weird and pissed off as they are now about stuff. So it's, oh, yeah. it's a fun challenge to make them sound modern while also having them sound like they're like, I don't know, they're like, like Archie characters essentially. <laughs> well, I grew up on Beatles movies, like literally, like that was the main thing I watched as a child. So you having a British character, Maxwell, I'm looking forward to hearing some of his particulars is definitely like very natural for me, I guess. Um, 
but yeah, that was a cool, that's a cool touch. I, I love both of your main characters, actually. Uh, I think that you have set up some characters that are specifically dealing with structural. This is something that came up at the panel at New York Comic Con, actually. Like you're writing something where the, you know, the character leads of a, of a, of a, a young black woman and um, the male character, I'm not exactly sure, but he's from England and you're addressing the way that people are marginalized for their identities, but it's not in a way that turns the book into like tragedy porn or whatever. It's just like a small aspect of of the story. I think you expanded on that a bit at Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The Black Mask panel, I was able to talk about that a little and it's like, there's a lot of research I do that I like try to go into. Yeah. Like doing just that, like acknowledging that these people's identities are part of what, you know, them being underestimated is part of why they have a, a leg up. Um, you know, it's, it's because, I mean, there's even, there's even moments where like, you know, because even though Max is like not a citizen and he's doing this like super secret stuff, um, you know, they address like, oh, well, he's English and he's, you know, a, a upstanding young white man. And like, they trust him over like Mary and Santa Clara, who are these like brilliant, like brilliant scientists because they're women of color. So like the, the scientists naturally trust Max, even though Max is literally a criminal. <laughs> like, he's hmm. not an American citizen and he's a criminal. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's great. We love him reading him, but like he gets, trusted over the two women that are like outstanding brilliant scientists um and you know it's not done to be tragedy porn it's yes yeah, it's, it's done to like show that one like max knows that max knows that he can just be charming and charm his way out of stuff and him teaming up with like these other two women like it's, he's kind of brilliant and kind of dangerous and then the other thing you learn is like so are they <laughs> like you know Mary. Yeah. I have the most fun with Mary writing her when she surprises Max and Max is like, well, look at you, Miss Good Girl. And she's like, shut up. I have a plan. <laughs> hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah. So Santa Clara is the professor who is their mentor in this uh, piece. Do you have any particular sources of inspiration for her in terms of the character design that you guys did or really for any of the, like, any of the characters? Um, I, I sent, I mean, early on, I sent back the Pinterest board. That was just a lot of, uh, a lot of people that I had looked at. She surprised me completely with Max and Mary. Like I wasn't sure how they looked until I saw her designs. Um, right. so she's better to talk about the Santa Clara though. I did send a lot of pictures of young Sophia Loren. <laughs> it was like, mm. <laughs> it was like, she's got a Sophia Loren thing going on, but like, a hot teacher version of the <laughs> but she's she can talk all about Max and Mary because she nailed the designs for them. Yeah, it was a lot of fun doing the character sketches because those that's the initial stage when you're just warming up to the comic and you kind of wanted to be guided through by these central characters, like like you know the plot and you know the theme, but you are holding hands along with these main characters and walking through the script along with them and you know living living their journey so it's it, it was it, I, lo- I was looking at uh, the whole thing from their point of view you know how they are going to live it and i was trying to trying to get the 
vibe of that era 1960 and just kind of imagine that you know what would they want to look like how they would they want to stand out and and santa clara is 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 uh, is is kind of a, is a is a bold character i mean that that's how tini described her so it, it was easier for me to pick a color which which was bright and which was bold and which was solid and and the rest of it the haircut and the makeup and the accessories these all just you know was lot of research lot of research went into it so i i i also wanted to give mary the kind of look which which will be you know you can easily associate with somebody going to college school sort of a thing high school and uh, and 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 on the other side max was somebody who is very colorful as a personality he's very he's kind of flamboyant and he's not the regular somber kind of a guy who is going to be quiet and sitting at a corner he likes to get the attention of people and he draws that kind of attention by sometimes speaking out of the way or out of line and and so again those bright shades those orange pants and green jacket everything and that that uh, very boy haircut i i i thought that is going to make him stand stand out you know from everybody else so yeah it was it, it, i wanted to give them a very colorful personality and yet let them each of them stand out on their own at the same time so it was a lot of fun what should do for the actual different out Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what you actually do for the research for, like, all the different outfits and stuff like that? You said you, you're looking at a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I was looking around a lot of stuff on the online. I mean, I mean, uh, of course, it's, it is a historic piece, so those references really helped. Sorry, I did, did I answer your question? I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I have to say my, my favorite favorite thing and I talk about this in every interview is the way Tsaki draws Mary's eyelashes <laughs> and I love them so much because Mary spends so much time even like being so wide-eyed and like you know that's kind of how Mary thinks is like she kind of opens her eyes and looks around and thinks and Tsaki enters her with these big beautiful like twiggy eyelashes and they're so gorgeous and it's so funny because I think they're gorgeous and then I, you know, when I give the book to a friend of mine to look at, they go, oh, my gosh, her eyelashes. Like, everyone is just in love <laughs> with the way Tucky does these, like, inky, beautiful mascara eyelashes. And, like, it's true. It's one of those things that, like, is so iconic about the book and the, the look of it. It wouldn't be the mm. same from anyone else is that touch of those, like, big doll baby eyelashes. But on such and a smart certainly girl. appropriate appropriate makeup for the time period being a mm-hmm. false eyelash in mm-hmm. every era. And are, is everybody has different outfits for all of the uh, upcoming issues. That sounds like a lot of fun for me. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just sent, uh, sent over a script that has an outfit change for some characters and I'm excited about it already. <laughs> Yay. Oh boy. One of the other, oh, one of the other, Things that you said at the, at the panel that I thought was really impressive was you were at, responding to questions about how do how do writers respectfully write characters who are not from the same you know ethnic or racial background or country or gender or orientation as their own, and um, I really thought you had an excellent answer to that question. 
Oh, thank you. I mean, yeah, mo- most of what I, you know, talk about is just, uh, like, research and also the idea of, like, you know, sure, we all need, like, I, I think that we need more rep- representation, you know, like, I, uh, like, part of why I love Mad Men is because when I want to feel like a badass, I can get up and dress like Peggy Olsen and feel like a badass, and I feel like, you know, my, my black female friends need to have a Peggy Olsen, too. Um, yeah. Part of why Mary exists, and... um you know, but it's a, and you know they deserve to have a hero from that time period who isn't you know always being uh, talked down to or isn't you know a tragic figure. But at the same time, yeah. you know, I'm not going to write a civil rights story because that's not my story. That's not I don't have the. No matter how much research I do, I can't. Like, there's no amount of looking at pictures of what black girls wore in the '60s that can give me the feeling of what that oppression feels like, you know, I can't research that. I can research hairstyles and I can research trends and I can research, uh, you know, music and art and I can research, I can write a story about how to have a good time, but I can't research. Mm -hmm. There's no amount of research can, can teach you certain, another person's story, you know, in that, in the way that you should know it if you're writing it, I think. Um, so I, I don't I don't believe that's that's my story. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, and if you want to read that, go read March for God's sakes. If you want to read, right? Uh, <laughs> if you want to read a brilliant comic about civil rights, uh, go read March. Um, but yeah, I'm just you know, in, in my mind, it's like I think that those are brilliant, powerful stories that uh, should be told, but not not by me, you know. Mm-hmm. I actually have a question on the story. Yeah. So, so you you're doing it in like its alternate '60s. Why did you go with with uh, Rockefeller as president? It was a really interesting thing. Like, why didn't you go with a normal history as we know it? So, I wanted a way to make it really clear that it was not um, history as we know it, and I wanted to involve the president. Okay. And because we've only had, you know, a few presidents, we've only had, like, we've had less than 50 presidents. So every single one has just been, like, researched and dissected all to hell. And every day of his campaign has been, like, looked at and looked at and looked at. Um, And I just didn't, I I didn't want to tangle with that. You know, like, every president has had, like, 100 papers written by, you know, students for their doctorate on, on every day of that president's campaign. And I was just, like... The idea of trying to think about like having an artist accurately render a president, what they would say and what they would do, just like stressed, really stressed me out. So at first I had a fake president, like I made someone up completely, and everyone who read that script was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" and felt like nothing for him, and he was just like a faceless, like grumpy white guy. Um, and it like like everyone that read that version like hated it. Uh, and so reading Nixonland, and I started reading some history and stuff, and it was like. Uh, it just Rockefeller felt like the right idea. I talked to Magdalene about it a lot too. Like Rockefeller felt like the right idea, like because it was someone who wouldn't have been like disastrous. It was someone who could be a little unsure, someone who maybe like would be in over his head um, with dealing with this and like in just studying like politics of the time and, and personalities and stuff. I was like, it's like, yes, like this guy, this is a guy who would have been completely over his head dealing with this. Like, this is not, 
he wouldn't have had like the you know the 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 like intensity and the uh the the charm of like a Kennedy but he also wouldn't have like freaked out like a Nixon like you know it just it had to be someone who was just going to be like I don't want to deal with this <laughs> and would thus deal with it poorly but not as poorly as like a Nixon and not as well as like a Kennedy so he became kind of the perfect patsy to pin this whole thing on Interesting. It was it's actually well, like a really well thought out that. reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually really cool. Um, how how much of the uh, stories, I guess, plots and twists for the far out future do you guys have already structured at this point? Uh, well, it's a four issue run. So we have we have four issues. There's a little, it's a four issue story. Um, ah. But, uh, you know, you, you always have ideas up your sleeve of, like, you know, what if we got to do this again? <laughs> what would we do? And I think there was one, uh, there was a time once upon a time where I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I would do, like, what we could never go home doing, and it would be different students or something. But I, I think I've fallen so far in love with Max and Mary. I could definitely tell more stories about them, but only if Devecky would drop. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. well, Yeah. Are there any parts of their background that you guys have fleshed out that wouldn't be revealed through the story that you should tell us now as background context? Um, initially, the story started earlier, and you got to, like, see Max and Mary meet and, like, see them, like, learn to do this stuff. And... There was originally this whole kind of thing, which you know is kind of revealed. You know, I'm at the. I've written enough of the script now that it's you know it's kind of revealed just through their interactions. But it was very much clear when the story had. I mean, like it was almost like I basically wrote almost an entire issue that got cut. It's almost like a zero issue. Like it was probably like 15, the 15 pages, and the reveal of the first issue was like six pages into what is actually the first issue now. Um, but, uh, I mean, you basically just got to see how uh, Max knew how to do, uh, like, Mary had to learn, like, sleight of hand and all that and wasn't very good at it. She's a psychology student, and she's very good at, like, basically getting people to, like, she's she's good at, like, just, like, sitting and shutting up and making it looking like she's just listening while actually, like, really listening and actively listening and thinking. And but she wasn't as good as, like, the sleight of hand and the outright lying, and she wasn't as baldy as Max. And then you had to see Max, who is naturally, like, baldy and good at the sleight of hand stuff, but, like, is terrible at just shutting up when he should and is terrible <laughs> at, like, actually actually thinking and reacting to stuff. And, it, and some stuff happens later on where you'll see how bad Max is at reacting <laughs> and how his, like, his tendency to react poorly causes problems. But earlier on, it was just, yeah, it was like Max thinking that like, oh, well, Mary will get this and she'll be as good as me. And then it being very clear, well, it's like, well, Max has a lot to learn too. Um, And it ended up getting cut because it was just kind of like 15 pages that I really liked, but nothing really happened except for it got me to really get to know the characters, which is really valuable. And I'm glad I wrote them, but uh, they don't exist in any form other than scripts. 
anymore. Have you thought about maybe releasing that as a script? Just like online as a bonus feature? Maybe. Ooh, maybe or in the trade, trade or something. Yeah. Or yeah. trade. Yeah, trade would be awesome. It'd be yeah, really it'll be like to, a to chunk read. of the, the early training of Max and Mary that, you know, was cut out. It's just kind of like a DVD deleted scene. <laughs> I, I like that. You know, a lot of comic stuff are really using, you're someone who's very active on Twitter, at least, and a lot of comics I'm sort of seeing using more platform pieces outside of the just the comic book narrative to promote and share the story, so. But it's already a lot. Yeah. I mean, part of the fun of skeptics is like in you know like a, a GDR letter is also great with this. It's like I want I like the book to feel like an old book. Like most of our variant covers and stuff are done to be like in some way to look like in period. Like I like the idea that like you know except for very few things like the barcode and the logo, you pick up the book and it's almost like an organic thing that could have existed then. Um, so it's like it'd be kind of a hard book to be like social media stuff for. Because it's like it didn't exist then, you know. But I do, I do promote it just by being, but through virtue of being loud. <laughs> yeah, digitally <laughs> loud. Well, I love the idea of the vintage style covers. That sounds really gorgeous. I just want to say, like this might have been stated before, but my host and I are both dying from the plague that is called being sick right before the election. Um, you know, like I mean, the, the core concept really in the comic is that we have young people who are working with their professor to fool the government into believing that they have superpowers so that they can use that to sort of call off the, well, I don't want to give that other part away, but um, I just was like, Oh my God, I have to make sure that people understand that core concept because it's so cool. Yeah. The, the core concept basically just being that like, if like if people if we can prove that we fooled you, then it means anyone could fool you, which means let's not do anything hasty about this, which is a really good, sensible plan. The problem is it just nobody else that should listen to that plan and say that's a really good point you have. Like nobody does that. It's like yeah. basically just an extended freak out and then, people start freaking out all over and it turns into complete chaos. And it's just like a, it's like, you know, Ferris Bueller's day off. If the stakes were nuclear war, instead of getting in trouble. Like, I mean, one of the most terrifying stories I heard about, you know, the cold war was how close we came to nuclear annihilation with Russia. Like basically one, that one, this one gentleman, there was a documentary about him um, yes, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Please go on. Yeah, good one. Yeah, no, yes, yeah. He basically a Russian person who was running one of the nuclear, you know, defense systems there, got an alert saying that the U.S. was going to nuke them, and that he should respond. And he just had he had this gut feeling that the U.S. wasn't, so he didn't hit to uh, return fire, and the U.S. really hadn't. It had been a false alarm, and because he did not do as he would have been instructed to do, I and Fred are alive today. <laughs> At least I, yep. I'm from the area, you're from the area, so we're alive today, thank you. Um, so, yeah, it, and also just being, you know, I, growing up in the D.C. area, I grew up around a lot of Russian people, I always had the attitude, like, 
I don't think that they actually want to kill us all because they don't, then we'd kill them all and, and then everyone would be dead and they're atheists. So I don't think they believe in the afterlife. That was at least my right. childhood reason for not believing in mutual, mutually assured destruction. I was like, that, 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 that was my takeaway as a small child. Right. And like, that's one of the themes that comes on later in the book. I mean, like, you know, I guess I won't call it a spoiler because I it'll intrigue people to keep reading, but like we get to see some of these like scary Soviet monsters and some of them are, you know, just people kind of like the main characters are just people. (laughs) That's kind of what spurs people to be like, hold on, this is crazy, right? Like we're all just trying to get by. Yeah. Yeah. I just find it weird, though, that as a child I had just proven the possibility of, like, <laughs> of the Russians nuking America right. of their own volition. And, and yet there was a whole like, complex built around maintaining that warfare and this warheads and all that. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I would love to hear about both of you guys' artistic influences in terms of this, in terms of this work, but in general as well. Like, what are, who are the artists and writers that each of you guys really feel like shape your style on this? Lucky, do you want to take that one? Yeah, actually, it's, um, see, so even though I'm, like, not not living there in the U.S. and I'm here and we, we have a very strong mythology background, but I, I, from the very beginning, I've been more drawn to the Western concept and the Western style. So very early on, the kind of um, the shape and the anatomy and the look of characters uh, that I was attracted to were 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 very Western. And you know, I wasn't drawing exactly the faces and the eyes and the structures, which was uh, which 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 was strongly ethnic. It wasn't like that. So I didn't have to change my style in any way. I I I drew the way I was comfortable drawing, and for uh, for a large part, I think when uh, when later I got into comics after my fashion design background, I I came across a lot of lot of indie creators were in the market, like they were doing this fabulous work, and 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 I remember very early on you know, sucked into drawings of uh, Becky Clunan and and Paul Pope and, uh, you know, uh, Craig Thompson and uh, Sarah Pichelli and, I mean, each of them, I mean, Claire Wendling. And I think they all are so different in their style, but but when you look at their work, it, 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 it the one thing you take back is that they are, they are taking the reader through their journey. And I think that's a very vital point that you just don't stop at the technique of drawing, but you kind of carry the emotion through the book. And you're able to take take the readers along with you. I think that that was very, 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 was was something I, I learned from each of them. And, and I used to pick up those elements from all the various work, you know, even even the superhero work or even the uh, indie work, everything was in a, in every in each of them you will find that that 
<clears throat> through their characters, not just through the characters, main characters, but all the rest of the elements in the artwork formed a family, formed a story. It was very organic. You know, nothing stood apart and, you know, it blended so well. So I think all these things used to, you know, inspired me in a way. And today I I look at everyone's uh, work, you know, trying to get, get that kind of rhythm through my own, of my own. And, uh, you know, and, and tweaking the art style slightly along with the story. Like, for example, well, while doing Skeptic, I didn't want it to be dark and gritty. It's a light-hearted story. I wanted to keep more of that balance between clean line art and also having the blacks into it. So I try to do that, whichever story I take in. Curb Stomp was dark and was was gritty, and, and I could play a lot with black and a uh, lot with thicker lines. So I, I tweaked this. I tweaked for for the majority part of the skeptics. It is it. I want to keep it light. I want it to be, you know. I want I want it to be something where I can give more structure to it. You know, not just everything blending in, but more structure to the line art, more forms, more clear cut, definitive forms. You know, more definition to it. So I try to drive the art towards that so that we are giving more body to each panel and uh, we are able to take the narrative uh, slightly from people to places and and you know uh, you know make, giving it a nice balance you know it's not all just about people and conversations but i think when we go more into the rest of the issues we'll find how they are getting out, they are enjoying, or something like that. In fact, it's a surprise for me because I haven't yet read the next script, but I'm assuming there will be a lot more places that Max and Mary will be visiting and checking out. So I think, yeah, I get a lot of variety to do for this uh, for this particular story, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's really cool. Thank you. Kini, do you have any influences that were um, from comics or outside of comics on this piece? <clears throat> yeah, I so I love I, I like I die for a great duo, you know, like great like I you know I always say like I'm a huge Batman and Robin fan. Like I feel like I love stories where Batman and Robin are working together. I love Sex Criminals. I love Saga. I love Kill Your Boyfriend. I love uh, Strangers in Paradise. I love books where you have like a great pair, just like two a great, you know, be they a couple or best friends or uh, a superhero and a sidekick. I love a great duo. Like, to me, all of the best stories are just, you know, either are about a, a relationship between two people, be it romantic or a uh, mentor or a mentor-student relationship or whatever. There's just something about that I, I can never get enough of. And so um, – Max and Mary to me have kind of been my attempt at doing that great duo that it's like you could just you, know, you could just watch them all day like you just want to make them happy and keep flipping the pages to see what they get into next so definitely influenced by all those great uh, great duos um, you know obviously like in an aesthetic sense like things like uh, you know aspects of things like Mad Men <laughs> and also like documentaries and films from the period um are really influential on me. Um, I love watching movies to get the way they talk right. 
uh, like I love. I always like whenever I hear the way Mary talks. Sometimes in my head, she sounds kind of like Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby. That very like very like flutey and funny way of talking. It's very particular sometimes. And like um, to me, like uh, I, and that's and that's one of the cool things too. Is like writing about a period piece where there is you know, there, there is stuff from that period and I'll go and I'll, you know, when I want to have like a radio announcement or a newspaper, I'll go back and I'll, I'll look up that so that I'm, I'm using the right words and I'm um, introducing it the right way. And which is funny. I mean, and I don't do those and you know, I don't, uh, I just, I do those things because to me it just feels good. It just like, is like scratching a little itch in my tummy. It feels to me like I'm doing due diligence to these characters I love to give them the most authentic experience possible and if it resonates with them, then hopefully it'll resonate with the reader as well. So, Devaki, I actually have a question for you. So, the, I mean, the story is very U.S. centric in that it, it, you know, it's about U.S.-Russian relationship, which I mean, our perspective is going to be different from like your perspective. So, like, what did? For you coming into the story, like, you know, what's your view of, of kind of like that relationship? Because I actually think that's kind of interesting in that the way we probably are engaging with the story and thinking about the history and our experiences are probably different than your experiences. Yes, right. Actually, I like that kind of uh, alienation, you know, the, the fact that I'm not a part of that country where where such incidents have taken place, where it's been a part of that the history of that country where I haven't lived in and I haven't experienced the culture. I like that that uh, the idea of of stepping into a zone which is completely unfamiliar and unknown to me because then I know there is so much to discover. And I I I take and of of course just the fact that I'm not there physically. I, I I talk to my writers, I talk, I get online, I look up references, I read a lot on the background, and uh, I try to get a feel of uh, what what could have been, uh, how, how these things might, might have influenced. But I think my focus is more about the plot of the story. It's like, uh, what are we going to tell to the the main characters? Because I don't want to get lost in the larger narrative and then lose focus on what we are trying to tell through the story. So I I basically focus myself around the two characters that I'm doing and um, what and their journey together. So uh, that really helps me actually. You know, and if there is somewhere I'm lost, somewhere I'm not getting able to uh, get get a feel of feel of it, then I talk to my writer. I talk to Tini, and I just will try to get a understanding of what's exactly happening there. You know, from page to page or panel to panel. So. Um, for every story that I'm going to do later on, and I've previously I've done, I I li- like that feeling of alienation. I mean, I, I, it's something that I'm not experienced yet. I'm not there at that place. 
but yet i'm able to tell that story and i'm just hoping that i'm able to do it in an authentic way in a very original way that people feel connected to it you know they are they are able to relate to it as much as part of their own culture uh, still being done by someone like me who's not really lived there and experienced that part of the history uh, directly interesting very cool is there is there because i know like there you know there is kind of like a cold war at times between various nations of like india and pakistan stuff like that is there like similar stories comic wise or anywhere else like dealing with the same, same sort of subject like a cold the kind of cold war um between right. nations yes yes sorry okay. uh, could you come again oh so i was saying like with uh with the stories like you know i know there there's kind of same sort of dynamics between some of like nations where where you live like between india pakistan china russia like all that there's still kind of like there is that that weird um a very similar dynamic to just the straight up U.S. Russia of that time. You know, are there comic series or or series in general kind of like dealing with those issues? You know, where, where you're from? No, not exactly. Not in the fiction. Uh, not in the fiction uh, comic zone. But I think there have been novels and there have been biographies around it, but not comics. I I don't recall reading a comic about that uh, about an era where there have been a lot of conflict driven uh, plot. I mean I haven't really read any comics like that. Maybe there are such but uh, I think there are more novels and more biographies around it rather than really comics about, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I want to thank you guys for joining us. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to reading issue two, which do we know when that will be out? Yes. Uh, November 26th. And it's, oh. it should be on time. Everything. We just finished it. So it'll be, it's in the bag for us. So it'll, it should hopefully ship on time and everything. So yeah, it should be November 26th. And then we're working on number three now. Um, yeah. Which and should be right after one tomorrow, Christmas. right? Yes, and issue uh, one comes out uh, tomorrow, so I'm really excited to see uh, what people think. But all the advanced reviews have been really cool. Everyone, I haven't seen like, I haven't seen a bad review yet, which knock on wood. Um, yeah. But everyone seems to really at least be charmed by what we're trying to do, which is great. You know, if you're gonna ask someone to spend a couple bucks on a comic book, the least you can do is make them smile. So. <laughs> So this definitely is, a, I think, an easy choice for folks who want something that is really fun and interesting and not the same that they're already picking up from, like, five other publishers. Different perspectives, yeah, different voices as well. That's one thing I can, you know, proudly say about it is it's not, it's not like, I, I, it's, you know, it's, uh, I can definitely recommend it to people who like certain things, but it's not, it's not really like anything else. We're doing something completely different. But yeah, I think you were saying like for fans fans of uh, sex criminals, kill your boyfriend. You know, I think yeah, uh, people who ones. like 
Yeah, anyone who likes just, like, that era, anyone who kind of is, like, you know, for people who are, like, X-Men fans of the whole Kids of Powers thing and want to see, like, yeah. Yeah, then 60s, like, I love, like, <laughs> I love X-Men First Class for that reason, just because it's like, oh, my gosh, it's a period piece of people with superpowers. Um, yeah, people who are enjoying, like, people who are Archie fans who enjoy, like, the, you know, the, the newer Archie stuff, too, like, just anyone who wants, like, a fun uh, romp with uh smart, smart kids who, you know, are kind of, I call it like a pre-punk period piece because like some of the ethics in it are pretty punk rock, but punk rock business. <laughs> so it's a, it's a pre-punk period piece. <laughs> Definitely feels punk to me. Um, well, thank you guys again. Uh, would you want to just tell our listeners where they can find you guys online? Yeah, right. So online, I am there in Twitter, uh, Devaki, Devaki, uh, Devki, D-E-V-K-I. And I'm also there on Facebook, Niyogi Devaki, and uh, my Behance is also by the same name. Yeah. Yeah, I'm mostly like all of comics. I spend a lot of time on Twitter at Teeny Howard, just T-I-N-I Howard, like the duck. Um, and I'm teenyhoward.com, and uh, I'll be at North Carolina Comic Con in Durham next month. I'll be at Acme Comics in Greensboro on Saturday signing copies of The Skeptics and Power Rangers Pink. Um, so anyone who's in, you know, driving distance of Greensboro, North Carolina, should come visit me. I'm really sad that Devaki is not in driving distance of North Carolina <laughs> because yeah. I'm sad that she won't be able to come sign with me. But I'm hoping that we'll get to meet up soon at a con somewhere in the world. Yes, this is what I really miss out, you know, being at these cons and being at these signings. I mean, the book doesn't release here in India. And that's the sad part. So, so, yeah, I mean, sometime maybe I'm sure I can be a part of it. Hell, there's any convention organizers listening, you want to have a really cool guest. Fly Devaki and I in together. <laughs> yeah, that's a really neat idea. It would definitely not appear elsewhere. Well, thanks, you guys, again, for joining us. And um, people will be able to download the podcast on iTunes in, like, a couple hours, I guess. And we'll cool. be able to right. download tomorrow. Right, okay. right. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank thank you for joining us. It was great talking to you both, and and everyone should yeah. go check out the comic when it uh, comes out tomorrow. Yes, indeed. Great. Thanks so much, you guys. Yep, thank, thank you. Thank you. All right, so that is wrapping up this episode. Um, as Lana said, the the show is going to be up on here on, on Blog Talk Radio in probably a couple hours and also be up on Stitcher too if if you like to get your uh, stuff from there and on iTunes in probably about a couple hours too. Never really timed it, but within an hour or two. Uh, And it'll also be uploaded to SoundCloud tomorrow where you can go and uh, catch it and take it with you on the go. Um, If you came in late, would like to share it with your friends, you can get it from all those places, but thank you for listening. You can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. Uh, as oh, always. Oh, and, well, and, 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 
One last yes. thought. If your comic shop doesn't stock Black Mask comics because your comic shop is really square or really tiny yeah. or whatever, or you can pick up sucks. the comic at Comixology. That is, yes, yes. You do not need to go to your store if you cannot go. You can get yes. it online. And you should go if, uh, if you want hard copies. You can always ask your uh, local shop to order it. Uh, but my guess is this one will probably... Uh, sell out like sell so many out. of the yeah. black max comics do. But yeah, if you can't get the physical copy, you can always go digital. So that's a good thing. Uh, Alana, you want to tell folks where you can uh, they can find you? Yes, I am on Twitter too much at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And I'm on Tumblr at Elana Brooklyn. Um, and I am probably also phone banking you about how you need to vote in the election. Uh, <laughs> if you live somewhere in Long Island, it is important, especially, you know, you're like, what do you care? Well, we have to win local races. It's important to win these local races. So I'll probably also be phone banking you if you live on Long Island. So. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, who? I, I, I'm going to guess we're not going to do a show the day before election. Um, and who no, we will not be doing a show the day before the yeah. election. My friends would, even if I had some knows, time to, my friends would freaking kill me. They would kill me. Uh, I was going to say, and who knows if we're going to be coherent enough to do one next week. Uh, so we're going to put that to to be determined. Uh, so yeah. if just I'd in like case to do this is the last week, chance, but definitely not doing it before, but definitely not doing it right before the election. Yeah, yeah, no, we would be psychotic to do that. Uh, so just in case if this is the last one before the election, um, go and make sure to go vote. Um, even if you dislike the, the folks at the top of the ticket, there's tons of local races that you should go and make your voice heard. Um, you know, local state races, local boards. There's all sorts of, um, of uh, uh, resolutions and stuff like that to go check out and vote on. Um, do, your, do your civic duty and go vote um, in, uh, yeah, yeah, actually two weeks. find out what's yes. on your ballot before you go to the polling booth if you like, don't know if you've got measures or special measures or specific races locally. Yeah. If you look up my ballot 2016, you can actually see like, if there's ballot propositions and if you have state assembly seats that are open and things like that, which you probably do. Yeah, it's more than the presidential. There's a lot of stuff at stake, so you should go do your duty and go do that. So um, we're we doing our little civic uh, responsibility by telling you to go do that. Uh, so please, for us, go vote. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky. <laughs>